too. Is this my level right here? Uh, your volume for your headphones, yes. Perfect. Take me down just a hair. There, that's good. Yeah. Okay. So, welcome to Under the Influence. I have Number two. Number two. I have uh, yet to still write and produce a theme song, but it's coming. It's going to be here, and it's going to be great. So, enjoy this canned music from Epidemic Sound. There you go. Um, new pop screens, I see. We're going to figure out how well these work. I really think they look very sleek. They are nice. They don't, they're not, I almost said something inappropriate, but they're not directly in my face. <laughs> this is not an explicit podcast here, I guys. I say the F word a lot. Well, you're going to have to curb that because I don't want to have to mark it explicit. Gotcha. When we upload it. It's However. Gonna, it's going to get marked for sure. However, today we, I would like to hear about origin and People that know you, especially for a majority of your life, you were always kind of the anti-pot and even really anti-drinking and any type of drug guy. As I'm swallowing. As you're drinking whiskey. I'm very jealous. I I wish I could have some too. It's okay. Um, However, I think it's fascinating that coming from that to be in the industry you're in and not just the industry, but the position you hold within the industry. And so I think there... I would love to hear about how you got there, what your journey was, but the origin of kind of who you are and how it led to where, where you're at. That's a wide sweep. It is. Um, I mean, I think I'm going to start in the second half and kind of work in, I think some of like my early life and like experience and kind of the stuff that shaped me will, will come out over time. But I think like focusing, like you went to the cannabis point and I think that's, something that most people when they meet me want to know the backstory of the most. So, um, I mean, I definitely was a jerk when it came to cannabis, like pot. I hated it. I hated the way it smelled. I I just, (laughs) I, I believed all the things that, you know, people that don't know what they're talking about believe. And, um, no, I, I didn't, I didn't do it. I was, I was almost, I think it was in my late, I was 28 first time I tried it. And, and it you was, didn't drink until you were 21, no, right? Your 21st no. birthday. I had a lot of people come out of the woodwork from high school that showed up just to <laughs> be like, Hey, I want to see him drink. And I, it really wasn't, you know, there's, I get a lot of, Oh, bullshit. You drank. I'm like, I, what a s- stupid lie. Like <laughs> I, if I could go back, I would drink earlier and I would probably, you know, loosened up a little bit, but, uh, no, that's not, it, it's true. So I think was, I was 28 it was Halloween. Friends came over. Um, I agreed with someone else who had never done it. And uh, she's now married to one of my business partners in the industry. And I believe mm-hmm. she still never has, but she chickened out on me at the 11th hour <laughs> and uh, shout out to Carolyn. <laughs> and uh, so I, I tried it and I didn't think it did anything to me, but I was like face deep in a bowl of cereal. <laughs> and uh, that, that was really it. Milk and sugar tasted good. So I didn't really do it much. And I moved to Florida and came back um, and I was having some esophagus issues and a doctor recommended it to me. Didn't know how I could access it. Uh, man, I don't know how to go without this story just going on for 15 minutes. So I'm going to just do the, I'm going to speed it up a little bit and we can backfill some other time. But I went, no one knew how to give authorization. So I hopped online and dug around for about six months and found a clinic. And when I got to this clinic, there was a, what looked like a homeless kid <laughs> flagging cars around parking out in this guy's grass in Kirkland. And I, I went in the front door expecting like saltwater fish tanks right. and a doctor's office, mm-hmm. and it was just a guy's living room. Well, I think parking on a lawn could have been your first indication, but... 
I, it was know, more about know. how many cars were there. I was surprised. Wow. And there were people everywhere. And like the girl that was checking me in, like getting ready to take my blood pressure was literally smoking out of a little peanut pipe. What? Yeah. And, and I was <laughs> like, this is it's still relatively like I hadn't smoked a lot of pot by that yeah. point. So I was really, really uncomfortable. And uh, <laughs> they said, oh, it's your turn to go see the doctor. And it was myself and two other people sitting in the garage at a folding table with a doctor they'd flown up that morning from California. And it could not have been more sketch. And I, I, I left, I mean, I left with my authorization. I felt completely liberated, not, not because I wanted to become this big pot guru, but I just felt like, well, now I'm allowed to grow it or I'm allowed to consume it and, and learn more about it without mm-hmm. the fear of like using alternative web browsers and trying to like bounce IP addresses because I was looking up, how do you grow marijuana? What was the interaction between the doctor and you guys like like did he did you just say i have this problem he said great and just wrote you a prescription or what was that process like yeah no it was bizarre i mean, i had a lot of medical records mm-hmm. and uh mine went relatively smooth there was another guy next to me in a wheelchair and it was like you know a foregone conclusion without a lot of digging and then the last guy he was really hard on um and really dug into like as a back issue and i think those are pretty vague but he uh he really dug in and spent a lot of time on that and like the two of us i was kind of leaving like are we sure that these paper you know they they're just signing a piece of paper and hand it to you and say there you go you're good to go and it just looking back on it like you didn't even really have a way of verifying you know whether yeah. or not he was a or what do you do at that point where do you go get it you could, well, so that was the thing. They, they they wouldn't tell you where it was. Well, later I found out it was just downstairs in the bottom of the house, but he wouldn't hold clinic days on the same days that he had this little generic mm. dispensary downstairs. Ended up being like a, a a big tragedy at that house. It got robbed multiple times. There were people killed and it turned out oh to be gosh. a real, a, a real, it's a big story. I wasn't involved in any of that, but um, you'd go there downstairs. He had a pit bull and a little Pomeranian. You open the what? door and you sit in this like basement room and you'd wait till they call your name and you walk down the hallway. Door on the right had all the clones and plants you could buy. And the door on the left had, you know, a girl at a desk, just some crappy little Ikea desk <laughs> with four or five mason jars. Dude, and you, I would have been sketched out. It was crazy. And so those characters, like they, those, that cast of characters like played out throughout the industry for a number of years. But it was kind of like this little hub for people that, that wanted to. And the police knew a lot of what was going on. It was a weird place. But when I left, I thought this is going to be the easiest transition for me. Uh, it was like shooting fish in a barrel because there was no, there was no saltwater fish tank. There was no clean presentation. It wasn't presented. And what were you doing before then? Like, did, did you? I was working at Pioneer. Okay. So I was a, I was a, I was a regional trainer for them training on like technology, which is why, you know, we love all the. So did you want to start your own business before that? Or did that experience kind of spur on your desire to do something in that space, but better? It's, I always knew when I was working at Pioneer, I got to spend a lot of time with the small business owners and then bigger, bigger business owners uh, like the car toys of the world. And I called on Best Buy and, and a lot of the major accounts. And I was able to pick people's brain all the time and find out what they liked about having employees and all the way from, you know, small guys to big guys. I got a lot of experience, but I was, I had side hustle going the whole time I was with Pioneer. I had Northwest Electronics and I was doing home theater installs and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you were an econ major in school. Yep. And which, which I don't, you know, I don't know how that applies. I just think it fits with the way I look and look at things and kind of mm-hmm. probably overthink a lot of them. Like it, 
fits into that category, but I mostly did it because everyone was majoring in business. And like my entire life, I was looking for, um, not necessarily a shortcut, but a quicker way to where I was, I guess it is a shortcut, but not in the negative (laughs) sense. Like I just felt like, uh, smarter. Yeah. If there's going to be 65 applications and they're all going to say business for the same job and there's a kid with an econ degree. And I found out that, you know, it was a faster path to a diploma by, you know, going down the econ road. Right. Like it just made a lot of sense to me. But in college, did you say, no, I want to have my own company? Oh yeah. I've said that since I was a little kid. Okay. Yeah. I always knew I I wanted to have a business. I didn't really know what that business was. Gotcha. And I think that's what makes this kind of my origin story because I didn't know my whole life growing up. Obviously I was like the opposite, never going to touch pot. Mm -hmm. And the idea that this would be kind of the, to me, it just, it's just the commodity in what is really a brand Mm -hmm. and, and kind of a social movement. But the seed to want to have something that's yours and grow something that's yours, having your own company, that's always been there. It's just been like like your your drive to sing from the time you were born from the you know home videos I've seen like it was clear at four when you're twirling around singing in the kitchen. No one cared the then but hey, hey. I, was, I had talent then too. <laughs> <laughs> and she's humble. <laughs> you see why we do so well. It's just a competing egos at, at all times. No I'd, I'd always I'd always wanted to have business and I I wanted to make a big impact. You know, mm-hmm. I think for me it was, it, that's also something that's really important. Maybe it's a little bit vain, but I wanted to like, like cause change and be a part of a movement. And this was an opportunity where I felt like everybody that was doing it was, was doing a really poor job of it and, and didn't have much to lose. So it was always cash, how much cash they make and keep under the table and hide. And we were looking to pay taxes and find ways to bring it above board so we could play the long game. And the, the, the Reader's Digest version of what came to be after this was we opened up a clinic. I, bought, I got an old converted house that was a daycare for a long time that sat empty for like five years. The floor had rotted out of it. And we went in there. And, you know, that's the kind of place in the early years what you what you'd find because no legitimate landlord with with good properties was renting to something that was this far in the gray. So we opened up a space there. There was a wheelchair ramp out front and I literally had painted the hallway and the two rooms, one to the left, one to the right. And I, we got a massage table and bought some posters of like the human body and the anatomy, <laughs> you know, and like put it up so that people really, really did feel like they were coming to it. And I put a saltwater fish tank well, of in. Of course. And for those that don't, don't know Jake very well, he has an insane ability to transform rooms and buildings in an insane amount of time like overnight can make some place go from a shanty town to the most presentable presentation, I guess. But it, it's, it's definitely a, a skill of yours. Yeah, no, and I think that's, that was from my, my grandfather who was a handyman and I traveled around with a lot and that was part of it. Like I, I knew early on that I could build and do things with my hands. I, I knew, I just always kind of felt like I was pretty good at it. I wasn't great at any one thing. Um, at least not yet, but I was always really good at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in this process, it was like, you're humble too. I know, but it, but it did play into my hands, right? You you couldn't start it with Mm $10,000 unless you were really good at your own handiwork and building and finding displays and really going to rummage sales and buying their Mm -hmm. glass displays and all that. And that's, and and I think your tolerance for fear is a lot lower than most people. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So tolerance for fear is lower. It's higher. Tolerance for fear is higher. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I thought 
at the time, especially coming back from Florida, I, you know, I, I came back without a job. So it felt like I could create something and went back to that. How could I get to a hundred dollars a day? Mm-hmm. And so that process started and all the while, while we were getting ready to open up the first dispensary and doing the doctor's clinics, I was growing, I was learning and learning how to grow. And I kept really detailed journals and it was less about the finished product and more about figuring out how to do it and get it ready to take it to scale. Were you nervous at this time? Oh my God. My house was in the parking lot of the police station. It was in the parking lot of the fire station, which shared a parking lot with the police station. And Washington was legal at the time. Yeah. Medical. Medical. This later on, yes, the police were at our house and, and, and it was, um, it wasn't a raid, but they were definitely there to find out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I, we actually shoot him off the property and, and ended up going directly to the chief of police and explaining what was going on and asking them to stay away from my house. Um, which, you know, Paul Ayers, the chief of Issaquah at the time, like really knew what their, he had a, he had a good pulse on what was going to be allowed at the state level mm-hmm. and what was a good use of their time. And so kind of getting to that point, we were doing the doctor's clinics and, um, then we would open up that we do that on Sunday. So all week we'd gather medical records and we would clear patients, make sure they had qualifying conditions. And then we had actual proof of those. And then we would schedule the doctor. And so I was just contracting with a doctor from Bastyr to come out. Well, she'd graduated, but to come out and see patients on the weekends. And then we would have a dispensary the rest of the week. Issaquah quickly shut that down. We got away with it for six, eight months and they came in and closed it down. And really they only closed it down because they said it was uh, a zoning issue. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely not true. Um, I ended up having an administrative hearing. We fought. Um, Dave Favor, who was the city planner in Issaquah, actually testified against us. Um, our attorney did us pretty dirty in the process. Shout out to the guy. I saw him just the other day at a <laughs> conference. Um, some great attorneys, some terrible ones. But there we ended up in this kind of just a real big battle with the city of Issaquah and ended up shutting the shop down. And then we worked with Issaquah for about 18 months. And went through planning and policy commission and every layer of the city government. And we ended up initially losing. And in the end, we had one of the first ordinances in the country that actually regulated and monitored our business activity long before it was recreational legal um, here in Washington. So we got to set the precedent. Then we had... um, a really great. I still consider Dave Favor and, and multiple members of the city council through that process became friends. And I don't think we got preferential treatment through that. I think it was, you know, we genuinely worked hard to show them uh, the chief of police. You know, he was the one that said, hey, if, if we don't come up with some regulation here in the city of Issaquah and let these guys operate their business here, they'll move half a mile down the street. They'll be outside of city limits and there will be no jurisdiction over their business activity. Interesting. And so it's going to be our clientele and our community that's accessing it, but in a way that doesn't give us any protection or oversight. So that I thought that was like one of the most, maybe it's because he's about to retire. I don't know, but it was one of the more progressive um, ways to look at the industry. And he really, really got it. He ended up fighting for us. I mean, this was not without um, a ton of deviations and problems through the process, but we ended up being in a position where the city came in and s- took a full sweep of our shops, had access to our cameras. I mean, this is so long ago, but what it, the key advantage for us then was I didn't have to hide. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was setting up these run and gun shops and they'd get shut down and they'd open up another spot and they'd come back to that one a little later. And so then we, we invested in true refrigerators and we opened up the first, you know, Greenlink really became Greenlink at that point. Mm-hmm. And we had clones and nutrients and, and, and different, we had a, a, a new patient specialist assigned and new customers. It was all, it was like really a big turning point for us. When was that the same hearing where you had people... Mm. that came and 
kind of spoke up for you guys and said the kind of help that you had given to patients and people in the neighborhood? Yeah, that's where Kathy Sparks and like if you're bored or you really want to dig through the treasure trove, there's a, a film done by PBS that's called In My Time of Dying. And she's one of the people featured on that. It was nominated oh, uh, wow. for an Emmy. It was a really great film. And she'd given me a copy of of it and said, hey, when you have some time, watch this. And it was a couple of weeks later and I watched it. And and it was about how you keep this like, you know, undeniable spirit up when you're facing a terminal illness. And I was in tears because it had been, she was, she was so far terminal at that time of shooting the movie. They didn't expect her to live even through to the end of it as some of them didn't. And so here I was thinking, oh my gosh, she was trying to tell me this is the end and I should have watched this already. And I'll tell you, like Kathy's still alive today, just kicking butt. No way. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. And, and, and she brought other friends and folks into our lives that helped us out a lot in the process. But who was the one that, um, you, you were giving her son cause you guys had a, had a, a care package program where people who couldn't afford. Yeah. It's called Greenlee Cares. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you thought that this was woman was coming my, in to, to kind of talk about how disruptive you guys were. We were in a panic because it was, it was coming down to the final vote with the city council. So you're talking 18 months of hard work and going through layer after layer after layer to finally get to a final vote. Everyone lays it out there. And, uh, I look over in our neighbor and I said, remember it was in an old daycare <laughs> at the time we still had that building and she would have to like our, we shared a part like a driveway with her yeah. and it was people coming, going all the time. And I was yeah, mortified. That would be annoying. And so I, it was, <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, if she gets up. This little old lady, cute as she is, you know, moving as slow as she is, <laughs> and she's going to tell the world that we've been a nuisance. And it's going to—I mean, like, I was nervous. Yeah. And she didn't speak, but she submitted a letter, and she said, "You know, had my daughter been here, I would have had her speak on your behalf." But what what she wrote was that we had actually been giving her son free medication for a long time, and we did not know he lived next door. Wow. Um, he ended up dying uh, the following year, and and we, you know, we we uh, contributed to a, a golf fundraiser in his name uh, in the following years. But uh, somebody who I was kind of like, it was a great example of of seeing somebody and me making judgments against them and what their opinion on us must be only to find out that we could not have been in held in higher regard. Um, and that that's happened so many times. I think that's why I get this like visceral reaction to people who just hear pot and think uh, we fit into some, you know, particular box and, mm -hmm. you know, family members. I stopped years ago, like dancing around what we do, you know, and, and just saying, yeah, I'm in the cannabis industry and kind of let people, you know, come to terms with that on their own. Yeah. Because there's been, like I said, that we used to have boxes. And I mean, boxes I was one of those cards. people when I first got to know you. I was like, I'm not going to date this pot guy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I think, uh, just in the times we're in and kind of growing up with the idea of what we think it is versus what it can actually do for people, especially people with illnesses and even, even mental illnesses and, um, you know, anxiety and spasticity, spastic, I can never That's say that word, word spasticity, spasticity disorders. disorders. Anyways, there's all, there's this whole side of it that I didn't, I had no idea was even beneficial to people. Yeah. So, um, that I think now knowing you, knowing what you've built, knowing the impact that it can have. Now I have that reaction. People are like, yeah, oh. I get a little I'm like, Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> And, and anyway, it, it's a it's it's not like it was even, you know, eight, nine years ago yeah. where people were even eight, nine months it. ago. Yeah. yeah. 
And people so, now, it's like a, it's, it's a badge of honor. It's the, mm-hmm. it, I mean, the best way to strike up a conversation is to drop that line. And now it's interesting people at parties and stuff where what before. The, at, at Nolan's one-year-old birthday party, yeah. I got cornered. Yeah. What do you do? And I, we were at a round table mm-hmm. with five other people, all of which are over 60 years old. And I went, oh man, how did we get this circle? Right. And we sat and talked about cannabis and cultivation. I feel like the people over 60, 50 or 60 are way more receptive than a lot of the 30 and 40 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But my question is this, now that you had kind of found what you really want to dig in with and really want to build and something that you feel like has value and that you're passionate about. How does your origin of what you want to do with the business kind of play into where you're at now company wise? I think what I've found is, is like everything that seems scary or every time I thought I knew something, another year would go by and I'd look back and I'd kind of be a little embarrassed for the way I negotiated a contract or how upset I got over a delay or, or even how freaked out I used to get about payroll. And there were times in this industry, I think what nobody understands is that it's, it's not just you start and you get rich. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was extremely hard because when the money was really good, the banking and tax situations were extremely difficult. And now that some of those things are getting easier, it's scaling and keeping up with the Joneses and it's overregulated, it's overtaxed. And I know no one wants to hear an industry they think is absolutely booming, complain about paying too much in taxes, but it, it is drastically overtaxed. I think businesses in Washington are going to be failing. At, they already We've already are seen, failing. yeah. Yeah, it's happening at record rates. Um, I think the state's going to make adjustments to accommodate for that because we've got a weird program here. But that, that uh, difficulty of the industry in Washington specifically plays into our advantage. It's kind of, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere because it is, there's, there's nobody at these conferences. When we, we go down to Vegas and we're talking to 70 or 80 professionals across all levels of the industry, nobody says, Hey, I'd love to get into Washington. You know, you gotta yeah. come, let's sit down. I'd like to talk about what it takes you into there. Like, no, we are not messing with that. That's, that's an impossible market to crack. And for me, it's like the ultimate chess game. Yeah. Cause if you can crack this market, then you know how to implement it elsewhere. And that's going to be the easy part. It's why the publicly traded company exists. That's why Greenlink International can be a publicly traded company is because all of these regulations required us to find a way to navigate in a way that didn't violate the rules and regs. And that, that type of oversight and thoughtfulness plays right into the hands of a publicly traded company, which has so much oversight and is almost crippling at times, uh, especially to new businesses trying to make that transition. I felt like we were, we were kind of conditioned for it. We were used to these. And people say, oh, when I opened up a bar, it was like, I know what it was like dealing with the LCB. I'm like, get out of here with that. <laughs> That's child's play, opening up a bar you know, or a regular business. I can't stand when our friends will say, I'm thinking about opening up a business someday. That drives me crazy. You mean you're going to order business cards and, and file with the secretary? of state and, you know, rent a building for $1,200 and, and do a pop-up clothing store. Wow. <laughs> you know, I literally, that's your, there's your, there's your, there's your business. And you could do everything else like in the process of setting it up. I'm not saying you shouldn't spend time preparing, mm-hmm. but the amount of oversight in this industry is absolutely, and you can't do anything without oh, three I, attorneys looking at it. I don't, I don't know how you deal with it every day. I get annoyed and I just hear about 30% of it. I'm like, oh, that's too hard. <laughs> Well, and the attorneys, they, they, a lot of times, you know, I didn't have to pay a lot in the early years because they, they didn't know the application of the laws any better than we did. It was mm-hmm. just what was the most defensible position we could take. And a lot of the times that was back and forth between, you know, uh, us and the attorneys. And that was like, we'd go there 
and leave with a collective plan where most other industries, you can sit down with somebody and say, could you please tell me what to put here? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me where this goes? A little side story, that initial Issaquah ordinance that passed required that I go in for fingerprints. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how I felt about that. Was, we, I knew they were setting them, sending them into the feds to do a background check. And so and you had to go to jail, the jail, and do Ugh. it. And they wheel out this cart right in the hallway, like right up. And I thought... <laughs> You know, they're already going to hold on to my wrist. They're just going to snap it behind my back and wheel me down the hall and lock me up. Oh, and yeah, say, you thought it was yeah, a setup. Gotcha, dummy. <laughs> so I, we did it, and they called me back and said, hey, the feds rejected it. And they what? Went, Why? And they rejected your fingerprints because they sent it in with an application for the marijuana ordinance and said, we want to do a background check, you know, subject to, like, cannabis uh, uh, ordinance and, and uh, retail stop mm-hmm. shop that we want, they wanted to allow me to open. And they threw it back and said, there's no... We don't have a, you know, a division that would look into that stuff. Like, no. And so they called me back in and said, you're gonna have to do your fingerprints again. And we're just going to do a general background check um, for criminal history. And that will suffice. And I thought, oh, now this is the one the feds have been alerted. And now the feds are down there waiting for me to come in and take my fingerprints one more time. Yeah. And that was the time. And I, I was sweating. I was, that no was one way. of the most nervous times I've ever been. And I was around when uh, there were these like message boards where people would say, hey, they're raiding in Olympia. Now they're raiding in Tacoma. And you could watch them move up the map of places and we'd send everybody home. I remember one day sending everybody home closing all the blinds and just sitting at the desk right in front of the door with my hands and palms there just waiting because I knew they'd moved south from Tac- or north from Tacoma and we were we were in I mean we were in the limelight we we were as exposed and out in front of any as any any business that's yeah. why we became such a big juggernaut and did in the you space. ever get raided no no, we had we've had we had grows that we were affiliated with get raided where they just came and took down plants that were beyond their count or beyond the the size um, and the allowances, but um, n- never in the shop. So for the average person, because it's federally illegal and even now because it's legal in the state, wh- how did you even run? How did they even handle that? Like they just say, you can do this, but we may come raid you and shut you down at any point. Yeah, because it's not it's not necessarily the same jurisdictions that are like the IRS says they want their tax money no matter what. Um, early on, all of these were run as social services, nonprofits. That's why we had Greenlink Cares. That's why we did all mm-hmm. those things, because we would set our budget and that's what we did. And so the, the, we could grow the business, but it wasn't about turning a big profit. It was about growing the business and being able to serve more people. And over over the course of time, the Department of Revenue came in and said, no, no, we're taking 10 percent. This is a sale. A sale's a sale. Ring it up and we want 10%. So it's like, well, you won't recognize us and, you know, the IRS won't recognize us and let us write off tax deductions. But as a nonprofit, you require us to do a for-profit sale and pay your 10%. So we were going down, you know, on big months, I would be going down with $30,000 in cash. I got kicked out one day. They told me I was money laundering and he yelled at me up and down. I got the Seattle Times involved. And at that time, I was really high profile. We'd done all those stuff on Wall Street Journal and uh, uh, World News Tonight, all of those things. We, we did a ton of media at that time. So I called everyone up and said, hey, I just got chased out of the Department of Revenue of which I'm one of the only people in the space actually paying my full my full dues and I'm I'm being treated like a criminal. The Seattle Times got involved and both offices at the Department of Revenue, both the one in Seattle and Kent, both went and bought money counters and created a little private room. And, and I would send uh, our administrative executive would would uh, or would go in and, and make the payments every month. And they would sit there for an hour and count twenty dollar bills. It was amazing. Wow. But it was it was one of those things where you, you, it was really hard to run a business 
when everyone wanted the taxes from it, but at the same time, they kick your door in and nobody ever went to jail. They just took all the cash. They took all of the equipment and supplies and would almost let you do it over again and come take it all over one, once again. So um, that crazy. happened to people over and over again. What's the biggest change you've seen from that era to now, even in the last year to now? I see the amount of money that's in the game right now. Yeah. It's, it's not even, it's still really hard to raise money um, specifically for the space. I remember working with Privateer in the old days and, and I think they just closed $7 million and thinking, my gosh, the amount of money and the impact they're going to make with that. And now I wouldn't, you know, we're talking about the project that we're working on now. We wouldn't, I told them we wouldn't even entertain um, entering into that state if unless their budget was three to five million dollars just for the initial infrastructure, and that's before they apply for licensing, so it's it's definitely a much bigger game. But uh, we I don't we haven't even entered into the real start of the race yet. I used to. When worry do you about think it's going to be legal everywhere? I think it, it, I think inside of the next two years they'll just they'll reschedule it. I don't think we'll oh, see yeah, a yeah. federal a federal legalization where it's just a free for all. But all they've got to do is pull it off of a schedule one to you know, schedule one drugs are the most dangerous substances on earth with no medical value whatsoever. So if you even remotely check that box, you come off of schedule one so that it can be more like prescription drugs where publicly traded companies can actually own the entire business and it allows for banking and other services to enter into the space. Um, I mean, it's it's big pharma and, and a couple of other big industries that obviously don't want to see a lot of that happen. But uh, if they reschedule it, that would open up banking. And that means rather than us going out and fundraising, we could actually sit down with our bank and show our business model as well as our growth plans um, and then, you know, our historicals and borrow money more traditionally. So that's where, um, you know, I think we'll see that happen long before we see, you know, full-blown legalization. Cool. Yeah, I've been going on for a long time about this. It's good though. It's good for it's good for the people to know your story. I was especially when people uh, meet you for the first time or they find out you're in the cannabis industry. I was like, yeah, but tell them the whole tell them the whole thing. So I really, I think it's important for the people to know is what I'm saying. So if it were to be rescheduled, what does that mean for your company and you guys as a whole? Um, well, like if that, if tomorrow comes out, we're taking it off schedule one, well, where do you go? I mean, the first thing we'd see is, is banks would be, I mean, the, the doors would open at banks, which is going to bring all of the VCs and all of the, the, the commercial brokerages and what is a VC venture capitalists. Cool. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, you'd get all these folks with cap, capital looking to invest in the space because everyone would see that that's kind of like the, the, the gold rush is on in the U.S. And we've seen what's happened to Canadian companies and small companies that have a lot of brands and a pretty big f- footprint on a couple of regional levels that could then consolidate a lot of those efforts. And we would bring in large amounts of capital and infuse it into the business. And we would be in a little it would be a, a race for market share hmm. um, and it would be a dead sprint and there would be tons of money thrown at it. It would be, it's going to be an exciting time for yeah. sure. Um, and, and this would be one of the biggest booms. And I think one of the things that's, that, that is our key advantage is using platforms like this right now, you cannot advertise. So it's all of the, all of the tricks of the trade that make businesses successful. Like, let's be honest, like the difference between a lot of products is just how well it's marketed to you. And to be at a, in a time where marketing and influence and the whole purpose of this podcast is to be in a position where we can talk about the companies and the things we're doing and help establish the brands. 
all while setting the foundation in place. And, and when you get some of these advertising restrictions to go away, when YouTube and Facebook stop being so so hostile towards this industry, um, we're going to see a, a boom at such a unique time in history that it'll be it, there's going to be millennials and 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 those even younger than millennials that are going to become extremely wealthy because of their investment so i mean there's these there's kids out there with robin hood accounts that are buying up little pot stocks and and i mean That's real crazy. we get emails you know hey wh- where where can i find your stock you know is it available and you know we're a penny stock so we're, we're on the otc we're just the small guys right now but that mm-hmm. was that's very intentional on our part and can anyone Anyone can go on and buy your buy your stock right now. They How can, do people get involved if they want? The, yeah, people can buy people can buy Greenlink stock right now. WSHE is the ticker symbol um, because it's traded on the OTC Pinks. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some brokerages that that you have a difficult time putting through the transaction because it's it's generally like a, a high risk category, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of cannabis companies are there. There's a lot of fakes and a lot of bullshitters, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, on the OTC because there's 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 lower lower thresholds for what you have to report. But then it's those same reduced thresholds that allow a cannabis company to exist on that platform. Otherwise, gotcha. there really wouldn't be much of a spot for you yeah. um, in, in the stock market. So yes, people can buy the stock. Um, we're, we're in the early stages of putting together our core infrastructure. So I, I mean, I think obviously we're we're a great buy, but I'm completely biased. Well, naturally. But, I mean, I've hung but, 10, 10 years of hard work, all of the brands, intellectual property, um, the, the assets and, and real estate, everything that's come along with this, this, this decade journey I've been on has essentially been put into that pool. Right. And so, I mean, you and I sitting at this table <laughs> are absolutely all the way in yeah. and, uh, and I love it. It's, it's, it's an opportunity that's bigger than I think we've seen in the last hundred years. And we are sitting at the front of it. Um, it's exciting. I, yeah. Let me ask you the question that people ask me all the time. Where can they, first they ask, where's Jake's store? And I explain to them, he does not have a store, but sort of, yeah. sort of, but you guys make, you're the producer processor. So we have a producer. So what we does work- that mean? Where can people get your products and what brands should they be looking out for? So everything that's in the Sweet Nirvana family that, that's distributed here in the Pacific Northwest is all done under a few brands. One of them is Rocket Cones. Those are pre-rolls. Um, so basically a joint. You've got um, Jam Rocks, which are like a hard candy, kind of similar to a Jolly Rancher. And then Groovy Chews, which are my favorite, which is just like a... a, a it's not a gummy candy. It's a chewy candy. And <laughs> also it's sour. My, my father's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. found out the other day. Yeah. <laughs> And those, those come in an indica and a sativa, so you can kind of control your own experience. And that's a little uncommon in edibles that you get to kind of pick and choose whether you want one that's a little more up or, or a little more laid back. So everything in Washington falls under those brands. We also own the Suncliff brand. So all of their vaporizers and uh, a bunch of new products that we'll touch on very soon that are being released under that category. And I think actually I can, I can say it because the market's not open and I'll make the announcement before the market is open, but Suncliff has an entire line of CBD edibles and topicals that mm-hmm. we are launching. Um, Which I cannot speak enough about how much CBD has helped me like with vocal recovery when I was singing a ton. And then with uh, my T- my DMJ, um, and migraines actually yeah. are kind of, those are all my medical issues, <laughs> yeah, laying but, it out. um, just realizing how effective CBD is and has no side effects. Like I don't want to be taking Tylenol and Advil all the time and see. Well, there's no side effects for you. 
Yes, like, for me. Is I, and I'm not, trying, I'm, not, no, I'm not trying to like walk it back. I just think it's it's kind of a it's a slippery slope when things when are presented say, as yeah. an all in it. Like I did the keynote speech years ago to a crowd that was there was nobody there under 70 years old. And I, I, I told my assistant, I was like, we're going to when it's over, like start packing up the things towards the end, because it could just be real ugly there. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. We're in a wealthy community and a bunch of old white people. And I just thought this could be bad, really bad. And it wasn't. It was line. They lined up afterwards. They actually kicked us out of the venue. We had to move out into the hallway because the next event was starting. Um, But I guess my point is like those people were there to talk about their ailments and whether or not this would help and fix them. And, And I'm not a doctor and I'm not I'm not one to overstate its value. I've seen it. I've seen miraculous stuff, but I definitely always kind of caution people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About it. Well, I, for one, really enjoy CBD just because it's it's something I can take that I doesn't have any negative side effects that I have seen. Yeah. No, I think I think like the, I've experienced, CBD especially is, if they give it to children. CBD is incredible. I mean, yeah. for spasticity disorders, it's it's almost undeniable. It's it's fascinating what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's a it's an amazing product. I think we're just starting to figure out the power of what it can be. And, mm-hmm. and I'm saying that for me, having sold it for the last 10 years yeah. and how uh, we have a strong understanding of how the other terpenes, which are the other essential oils in the plant, how they affect the body. Um, and the application of those is I mean, we're just getting started yeah. with that. So I think well, and once we're able to actually do medical studies about it too. Yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see where all of this can go and how many people it can help. But yeah, so there's, those products are around. So there's, there's about 60 locations in Washington that sell those products. Of course, we're working on contracts in multiple other states to bring the products there. Um, historically, we have about 70 SKUs. So we've, we've made, a, you know, every beverage you can think of. Well, you know that. <laughs> he, she loved the juices back what in the was day. The, what was Cannabis. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, that was, that, that we, we couldn't make that as fast as we could oh sell it. Oh my gosh. It was like every time I felt a migrant coming on, I'd just have a couple sips and it would just... Boop, 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 curve it off and I would just feel a little bit lighter. (laughs) The the retail industry now is, is, is the opposite in that you're you're often sitting on supply and you're looking for the right buyer or you're, you're, you're not diluting your price by reducing the price to sell more. So you're kind of left to manage your inventory. And that's why it's a lot more like a traditional business than most people would think. But in the old days, it was as fast as we could make it. And I look back on on the medical. It's like Gary Vee when he said he was talking about like uh, uh, um, Google AdWords mm-hmm. and only being five cents a click in, in the early 2000s. And his only mistake was not doubling and quadrupling down on that because it worked so well in the medical era. Like everything we made sold out as fast as we could make it. But I remember feeling like, well, it's too early. We wouldn't want to borrow $100,000 or a half a million dollars and invest it and have it not work. And we had some of those mishaps where, you know, I opened up the Seattle store and spent a fortune because I thought it was going to be a monster. And we sold more in Issaquah in the first hour of the day than the whole week in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And we put a lot of money there. So I kind of became a little bit cautious and just thought, grow it organically, stay small, move through the system. But well, man, that's I, not what you're doing now. <laughs> I know, but, <laughs> but that's part of the process is yeah. I think there's a lot of guys in my position today where I was, you know, seven or eight years ago thinking, you know, if my uncle, my uncle Joe just loans me, you know, $50,000, I can get a license and get started. And, and it's not that those success stories are gone, right? but my goodness. Well, you know, I'm glad that uh, our listeners got to get a little backstory because I, I know that's what you get asked, what I get asked a lot. So I think it's important for people to know kind of where you came, where you came from, your story and how, how you've got 
I just am having a hard time with words tonight. Gotten <laughs> to where you are. What's your uh, biggest ambition for your company in the next year or two? Um, I, where do you see it going? We'll wrap up with that. I think the over the course of the next couple of years, I'd I'd like to I'd like to. Well, in two years, there's going to be a sweeping change. I don't think anyone in the even the most experienced in the industry, and I consider myself one of those, I don't think they can predict what the next two years looks like. Mm-hmm. I think there will be billions and billions of dollars thrown at the U.S. market. I think we will see a, a handful of companies that um, that exceed $10, $20 billion market capitalization numbers on the market. Um, we could certainly be one of those. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that that's realistic to predict today, but I think that it's that wide open that it's hard to even see what the landscape might look like. But yeah. our goals are to be in, you know, every regulated state in the United States. And if they reclassify and ideally we'd be in all 50 states and we have activities in Canada already underway. So we'll, we'll really ramp those up and explore the partnerships. And of course, you know, the company is intended to be, um, to hold brands and intellectual property that crosses borders all over the world. So, well, I'm excited that I get a front so just row hum- seat. just humbly, you know, planning on trying humbly. to have <laughs> brands and representation all over the globe on almost every layer of the industry, and you know, right, six thousand employees, seven thousand employees, and maybe you know, a couple hundred thousand affiliates. Well, knowing <laughs> you and know. seeing how hard you work constantly, I I don't think that's out of reach for you. Well, and I'll be at home with our children. Writing song. No, I'm just yeah, I, was, I, I was. They couldn't see me, but I was nodding my head so hard. No, right couldn't there. Couldn't even like, get through it. Yeah, I, I couldn't bullshit. even get through it. Well, Jake our kids will be in tow. Our kids will be in tow. But you, yeah, you, you're just full <laughs> of shit. Well, thank funny. you for sharing your your origin story. We got uh, some guests. We keep. Keep, keep peppering teasing, in our guests, yeah. but they're, they'll be here. For those who don't know, last week we were we, we got snow like we have not oh seen in the last seventy gosh. years in Washington. So it's the worst. Um, it's part of the reason you just got Susan and I again. There are very few guests that left the house, and then once they once they were able to, um, you know, getting them here to sit with us for an hour or two is a tough sell. Well, we had kind of a busy week too. Yeah, I'm covering for some folks, <laughs> and I had a show. We had things. It was Valentine's. Doing a show six months pregnant. That was that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it felt really attractive. Let's just put it that way. It was awesome. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for listening. You can find Under the Influence on Apple Podcasts. It's actually called Under the Influence with the Georges. Don't you think if they're listening to it, they've already found it? Yes. So what <laughs> I implore you to do is uh, if you go look at anything other than the one thing yeah, that you have found, true. you can find. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're sorry. Why don't you do that? You, you close it up. No, if you guys are, if you guys are looking for more content and information, <laughs> susangmusic.com, she's got uh, uh, everything from the podcast, the blogs, the vlogs, the show content, the, the music and all everything. Of there. Most Everything that's produced oh. on that is by you. So I think that's important to say too. I don't know why that's important to say, but I'm Just with you. Just because no, you know, it's, cool. it's no, joint I, projects. Yeah, yeah, no, I, the whole point of this podcast was to... <laughs> <laughs> Here's the part where our egos won't let the other one finish. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. You did this to me in the last episode. You, you shooed me down. I'm trying to wrap it up. Well, I'm having fun. I know. You can just be very long-winded I in know. the best way. <laughs> <laughs> 
So all the contents there, it is, it is a lot of our stuff. So if you see Susan on camera, I'm usually behind it. That's where I prefer to be. This podcast was designed to be a catch all for a lot of the projects and things we're doing where we can talk about all of it and tie it together. So, uh, that's what this is. SusanGmusic.com is where you find a lot of that stuff. And I'm at legal out West on Instagram, my Facebook, you guys know what that is. It's just me. And, uh, Susan is Susan G Music on everything. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk to you guys. We're planning on uh, having another one out next week. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. All right. Bye.